Welcome to Work From The Inside Out, a podcast that highlights real-life stories, practical strategies, and best practices for transitioning your career from unhappiness and dissatisfaction to fulfillment, meaning, and joy. Now here is your host, career and executive coach, Tammy Guler loeb Hey, everybody. I am delighted to introduce my guest today, Jill Griffin. Jill's executive career coaching strategy and innovation have generated multi-millions in revenue for the world's largest agencies, startups, and well-known brands. She has worked with the brands we all know and look up to, including Coca-Cola, Microsoft, Samsung, Notion, Hilton Hotels, and Honda. Advertising Age recognized Jill as one of the 25 women to watch, and she was named one of the 50 most influential people in content marketing by NewsCred. She's also a two-time winner of Adweek Media Week's Media Plan of the Year. As a founding member of 212 New York's Digital Advertising Club, Jill was a recent Visionary Award recipient and the other founding members. Jill has written for Fast Company, HuffPost, and Metro UK. She's been quoted by leading media outlets like Adweek, Advertising Age, Forrester Research, The New York Times, NewsCred, Newsday, Media Post, Media Week, Departures, and The Wall Street Journal. Whether she's working with startups, thought leaders, or renowned global organizations, Jill has sat on all sides of the table. She is an experienced Gallup certified strengths coach, and she works with organizations to create strengths-based cultures to increase performance, retention, and well-being. Please join me in welcoming Jill Griffin. Welcome, Jill. Hi, thank you so much for that warm welcome. I love that you read my bio. It's so well. Fun. I and I love your bio. You've done so many different things over the years, and you are joining us from my native Long Island. I get to say Long Island. Long Island. <laughs> but I, I know you live in Manhattan most of the year, but you're from my native New York. So, Jill, you know, on Work from the Inside Out, we love to talk about the early years first. So, Take us back to some of those early years and 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 tell us how did the how did they begin? Mm, that's such a fun question. Um, I see myself as a small child playing a lot with arts and crafts, where that might seem common um, because that's something that we do, whether we're in after school activities or sometimes if there's an arts program in the school. But mine went a little bit further than that, um, where I was like designing the dollhouse where actually painting and wallpapering and like, Oh, wow. Furniture and um, playing with that. And then also playing with lots of different art, like charcoal drawing. I mean, it wasn't about being good. It was about the, the, the need and desire to get my hands dirty and to like actually be in it. So like spin art or any of those, um, even light bright, if you remember light bright, oh, sure. like, signs and that, you know, so Later in my career, it was no accident that I worked for Martha Stewart um, and ah. in a, a, the land of creative living and getting to see like people working with construction paper and glitter and creating the most beautiful things during the day. I was in a marketing role when I did that, but 
but yeah, that's where it started on that side. And then the other side, you know, I had always been so curious about a television. I mean, how did it work? How are the, you know, very young, how are there people in that box and understanding, you know, <laughs> idea of like, even sensing the difference between when something was on film or video, which of course at the time I didn't have the language to describe that, but why does the news look shiny and why does a movie look flat and like really understanding the nuances of that and saying, how does that work? And, you know, I did go on to university to work. um, My thought was that I would go into radio and television. Um, Anyone who's watched uh, newsroom on HBO, you know, and yes. again, like I was yes. like, that's what I want to do. I want to be the producer of the news. And, um, you know, I opted for advertising instead. Actually, I opted for the music industry first, which working for Atlantic records. And then that brought me into, um, advertising and marketing from there. Oh, really? Interesting. So you mean right out of, right out of college. So in college you studied, um, advertising, in college, I studied communications. So oh, we're communications, communications, okay. Media, um, broadcast, you know, running. Um, my university had a, its own TV station in addition to various radio stations. Um, so having a show on the radio, um, you know, doing the news, the live news reads and really practicing. And as oh. we joked that Long Island accent, really practicing and getting rid of that. I mean, it's going to be clear occasionally, but um, I think that's what makes all of us interesting, right? We don't want it to be so, uh, we don't want to remove accents by any means, at least in my, um, yeah. So I, I was looking, um, at that, but Atlantic records landed first. So I got a job in the marketing department, um, uh, and working on the video arm. So again, my TV career helping mm-hmm. there, the video arm of Atlantic records, which was really putting up the videos that would go to MTV. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And then also working on what's called non-theatrical sell-through, which is, uh, if you, any of you fitness people out there, um, you know, Buns of Steel, Jane Fonda, um, Susan Powder, any of those fitness videos. Yeah, I and remember Susan Powder designing, too. <laughs> all of that, designing those infomercials, what are the, the, everything from the scripting to the production, to the marketing, all of that. And then the, that's what got me into media because we had to buy the TV time, the 1-800 numbers, ah. the URLs, working with like Guffy Ranker. If anyone's watching the um, Apple show on Apple TV called Physical, myself and my former colleagues are laughing because it's the start of the fitness video industry and Guffy Ranker. It's not called Guffy Ranker on the show, but it's, it is basically that. And we're like, we had a firsthand scene into all of this. Ah. So really, um, really great experience early on. I mean, you're, you're working for companies that are successful, that have very small marketing teams. So assuming you can do it, you're just thrown more and more responsibility. So it really helped me very quickly learn lots of different sides of the business. Yeah. Wow. So what an amazing start to a career because you were in on the ground floor, you, like you said, small marketing teams. So you really got, Talk about getting your hands dirty, right? You, yeah. you, you got in and you had to just, I guess, wear a lot of different hats early yes. on. Yes. Yeah. And still, you know, you're junior, so you're still doing the basic administrative work that needs to happen in a department. Um, but, you know, I, I look today and I say, you know, it is some of that early work. You know, you learn it in university, you learn it potentially in English um, lit or English class, but 
writing a business memo, understanding how to write a strategic argument. Um, and I don't mean argument, but like a strategic point of view on something. Right, it's right. one thing to do it in theory. It's another thing to do it and then, you know, quickly race down the hall to put the letterhead in the printer, race back, hit print. You know? Right. We didn't all have our own printers. And I know I sound like a yeah, hundred no Wi-Fi back then, right? Super fun. Yeah. Just right. Um, right. figuring it out, figuring it out as we were going along. Sounds like you had a lot of great memories of that time. Yeah. Yeah. So what was, was there a turning point at some point when, when you moved into something else? Yeah. It was called digital music, right? So they, they, the birth and growth of um, iTunes and digital media in that way really started catalyzing record sales and seeing just the department shrink and knowing that things were really um, unstable in the record industry at that point. And just starting to look, and obviously, as I um, had created all these relationships at various media houses, um, because again, I was, I guess I could say I was the client who was, they were buying the media time for me. They were my media agency, but just being really fascinated by how that all worked. Um, And, but when I say how that all worked, my boss, when I first went on to the media side, like leaving Atlantic Records, going on to the media side, my boss said, systems always go down and you're going to have to learn how to do all this manually. And I was like, great. What does that mean? Having no idea what she was going to have me do, but I thank her to this day because she taught me right away how to think differently. So I would call all of the radio, the radio stations and the TV stations for what was called an exact time, the exact time the spot ran. So I'd have that data. I would then go to the supply and the fulfillment house to see actually where things shipped, to see in what region they were in. And then I would marry the, the, the TV commercial, the call center and the fulfillment center's data manually. There was a system that did this, but for a month, she said, you are going to do it manually. And you know what it taught me was attribution. And anybody who's into research out there understanding that, yeah, the spot ran at 11 p.m., but the next spot didn't run until 6 a.m. So all of those phone calls that came in after 11 a.m. would get attributed to that spot. That meant that was a very lucrative spot, right? So doing that kind of research and analytics, Dang, yeah, did all the marketing to create the spots, really seeing the full side of, okay, oh, that didn't work. We got to rework that. Oh, that worked. Really seeing it manually. Um, And then of course, when she said, okay, now you get it, you can use the system. It basically meant I had a half day of work. I could leave by like 8 PM because (laughs) it was easier to get the work done. It it makes me think about, you know, like learning how to do math without a calculator. hundred percent. Exactly. Yeah. And again, you understand why, but sometimes it just, I think it was the start of, if I was to say the theme or the red thread in my career, I always say I live between the real and the possible and the understanding of that red thread of like taking the data and then looking at patterns and inputs and, and, um, it makes me think of the movie beautiful mind. You can see that because of living in media of like how to connect together and when you connect them together what does it create in in the next product that you're creating yeah wow now at the time did you appreciate all that the way you're appreciating it now um well I can't say I appreciate it when I was at work till like 10 or 11 (laughs) o'clock at night and uh you know having to take the subway home and just being like what is happening you know (laughs) 
appreciated that. I mean, I really liked the people I worked with and I knew that it wasn't, knew they weren't like just giving me busy work. I knew I trusted the process, but it, I wasn't, it. Okay. wasn't thrilled for it. And then it really wasn't until I graduated beyond that job where I, I mean, her name was Joan and I've thanked her many of times. She's an amazing woman, Joan Love. And, you know, it wasn't until probably a year or two later where I was lapping my colleagues and understanding the full size of the marketing spectrum because I knew both the production, the marketing and the data and analytics. Wow. And yeah, it definitely benefited me enormously. And, and you said that that role was that you had left Atlantic Records at that point. You were in a different company at that point? Yeah, at that point, um, it doesn't exist anymore, but the remaining assets were acquired by IPG, the Interpublic Group of holding, you know, it's a major holding company of advertising agencies. Oh, I see. Yeah, et cetera. So that's where they were, they, they were the agency that was buying our time. We were at Time Warner, um, which was Atlantic Records at the time was owned by Time Warner. And we just went to the media shop that was buying our time. I see. So w- would you call that an advertising agency or no? Technically, it'd be called a media agency. Media agency. Okay. Yeah. So this, is, this is where I, my naivete comes in a little <laughs> bit. So um, just curious. Yeah, I was just curious because just wanted to get a context for that. So it sounds like you did that for about a year or two. Um. Yeah, so I was there for a couple of years. Um, from there, um, I <laughs> there was again this thing called the internet, and I remember that um, we had Nestle Baby Carnation Formula as uh-huh. a client on the television side, uh-huh. and they were looking to um, you know could could you do this internet thing? And myself and a colleague, Jennifer, taught ourselves stayed in the office all weekend, taught ourselves, did a cost per lead campaign, pitched it, won it. Within within days, they awarded us the business. They wanted, you know, they wanted to keep everything integrated. It makes sense. But we won it against some pretty major other companies. And we were two young women in our 20s who were just figuring it out. Um, so we took on that entire um, that entire piece of business. And we were the team that was responsible for all those baby name databases, which are now so common but we had come up with that idea um, at the time of like, what do you want to name your kid? And is he going to be a rock star or the schoolyard bully based on what name? <laughs> <you get? laughs> yeah. So from, from there went into, um, you know, just getting more creative with media and kind of always having this idea of, I want to buy what's not for sale, meaning I want to create it. I can buy TV commercials. I can buy digital advertising. I can buy what's there. I want to, I want to create something new and buy something that is going to create a different, um, it's going to move the narrative forward and it's going to create a different experience for the consumer who's consuming the content in a different way. So, so that, it sounds like that would have moved you into a different kind of company or organization then. Yeah. I mean, you know, from from there, I went to um, what's called Anomaly, which is one of the most, that's the second place that probably blew up my brain in that it, the way they approached the entire industry and they were a full design communications brand strategy house where they did all aspects of it. But um, even the way that the, that agency accepted, I don't know what they do today, but at the time, the way they accepted payment, um, which was for the, they weren't a big agency. They were about a hundred 
I think I was like number 75. They were smallish under a hundred agency. But what they were doing is we were the team who launched Virgin America, which is no longer in existence. Right. Acquired by Alaska um, airlines. But what the founders and partners did that was so smart is they took a very low retainer for a cut of um, airline ticket sales. So like, we were building the plane. And by that meaning, well, what should the in-flight entertainment system look like? What should the uniforms look like? We were on the team doing all of that brand strategy. I was working on the um, the in-flight entertainment system with some colleagues, again, my digital background, um, but there was no ticket to sell. So the partners, again, had to float us for the first year. And then um, my understanding is they did very well. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a, again, it's a completely new, how do you monetize and how do you buy something that's not for sale? How do you think about things completely differently? And, you know, it's very uncommon to take um, most agencies at that time um, were paid primarily just on straight uh, cash Mm-hmm. And then potentially profit of sale, but not um, not actual cut of sales. Right, right, right. So that really depends on your using your imagination to its fullest. But the but the financial burden wasn't on you. But you were still putting yourself in a position where you were taking some risks because you didn't oh, sure. the land right. We didn't know when it was land, then um, we basically worked seven days a week. <laughs> I mean, you left on Friday. It was like, okay, how's 10 a.m. for everyone tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're in a startup world. That's, that's part of it, you know. Right, you, right, right. And then um, I had some uh, connections over at Martha Stewart, and they were looking for a head of uh, marketing for the dot-com, um, huh. Which I know now everything is the dot com, but at the time they were still five distinguished magazines. They had the business at, you know, with Kmart and Macy's, and they had a whole retail business, and that was turning to e commerce, but it wasn't totally e commerce yet. And then I came in to, um, you know, be the the VP of marketing for the dot com, um, which was everything again from working with the sales teams, knowing that the sales team was pitching a particular brand who wanted to be on Martha's TV show because they wanted the ingredient in the cake that she was making to create a package for how does the advertising and media and marketing support that all the way through post that segment airing, what happens then on the website and how do we pull through that experience again, going back to what I said before, always creating how does what we're doing move the narrative forward. So it's not just like you know, smashing you in the face with a brand name, but it's like, it's actually part of the conversation. And that's always been the, you know, that's always been the thread that I was working towards. And then from Martha, um, you know, Martha was then eventually, you know, economically was acquired multiple times. I think private equity at one point and now um, is owned again um, by the same people who own Meredith and where from there was really working in taking that strategy and innovation and content and how do you create new stories? So whether it was working um, with bringing new brands to market, whether it was working with um, like with Coca-Cola, for instance, I was um, the person who co-authored the 70-20-10 strategy and innovation framework that they use for all their media that you hear all the time now, people talking about the 70-20-10 approach to innovation and strategy. And 
that was me with another colleague who did that. Tell us about it. I, I haven't heard of it. <laughs> so it's just the concept that um, everybody wants to be thinking about innovation, but everybody also wants to make sure that we're doing what's tried and true and making sure that we're still selling whatever product or widget we have in the market. So the approach was, how do you take a bulk of your dollars, in this case, 70% of your dollars, and put against what is tried and true and working? How do you then take 20% of your dollars and innovate against the 70%? So that might be, how do you work with a partner differently? How do you try something new in partnership with somebody that you're already doing, but you're innovating against it? And then lastly, the the 10% becomes a portion of the budget where we're going to try something completely out there we've never done before. But what happens is next year, the 10 becomes the 20, the 20 becomes the 70, right? And you're constantly then you- I see, okay. In which you're constantly trying new things and sometimes you fail and sometimes you hit it really big. Right. Right. And even when you fail, you've learned something. That oh, takes- yeah. I mean, to me, failure is like, what is failure? Right. It's just one right. less way it's going to work. You're right. Like, okay. How do I try it in a different way? And, right. 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 You know, right. Right. What, right. What do we try differently? What did we learn? What worked? What didn't work? What we do differently? Like, right. I don't, I mean, failure to me is so non drama. <laughs> <It's like, laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So then I stayed in that role again each time, pivoting, positioning myself. I think. I think one of the challenges that so many people think about is like the the inherent nature of a resume and a career is about looking backwards, right? And it's the flaw in the resume or CV or whatever you want to call it. And the idea is you need to show that what you've done is scalable, transferable, um, and repeatable. And how are you taking what I've done previously? Yeah, yeah, I did it previously, but here's what it means to you. Yeah. So when you're thinking about pivoting or making those, those, those changes, you have to remember that the person as kind and lovely as they might be, who's interviewing you has a big, so why should I care bubble over their head? Right. They're, they're stressed. They're like, are you the person who's going to fix this for me? Are you the person who's going to bring the right chemistry and competency to my team? And that's what they're looking for. And it's really understanding how to tell that story. I mean, I've been a storyteller since day one, how to pivot and tell that story in a way that creates that unique value. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And then from there, I went to a couple, I wanted to, I felt like I really had such an amazing career um, at that point. And I really wanted to try something different. Sure. I was a little nervous, but I wanted to try something different. Um, So I left uh, at the time I was at Publicis for a good 15 or 12 years at that point, um, 15 all in. Cause I was there previous at another point in my career. And, um, I want, you know, wanted to leave in grace and excellence, which is, you know, yeah. part of my personal values, I love but that. figure out what's next. And I had a friend who was a founder of a digital health startup and she was in need of some strategic support. So almost like a fractional COO and, um, basically went there, helped her take a real good look at the business and figure out what are we doing? Um, made, I mean, when I say made, she made the decision. I was her consultant, but helped her make the decision, um, to sell. Um, so we sold and got her a nice chunk of money for that. And then Uh helped in the post transition and acquisition because one of the biggest things I've learned about mergers and acquisitions, and there's many things that many people can share about their experience there, is that yeah. the acquiring company doesn't really think through the culture 
And just because we're acquiring, then all the lawyers and the deal makers and all the people go away. And then there's a motley crew of people that are just sort of put together and it's like, okay. And it's, it's how do you hold that, that nuance and the balance of you acquired the company because they had some magic and something you wanted. So let us not crush the illumination in their soul by just folding them into the mothership. But at the same point, the acquired company took the check and needs to fold into some ways of the mothership. So really understanding that delicate balance. Um, And I would say, you know, I've seen it being done horribly in which then most people resign as fast as possible. And then the the value of what you bought is no longer there because historical data and history is gone on top of the product not working right. And that has happened so many times. I'm sure many of your listeners know that they've seen that happen. But really working through that, which brings me to I've what we what we what I passed over quickly is I'm a traumatic brain injury survivor. And I at the same time was trying to figure out how to stay employed, to keep my health insurance, to get well. So while I was doing all this work, I was going to school at nights to become a functional health practitioner, um, understanding that I was having some some real issues with my brain that I wasn't being able to get answers on. And I knew that I was going to have to be the hero of my own journey in order to co-heal and knowing that well-being was such a major part of it, right? So if I got my food, my nutrition, and my sleep, I could perform like a rock star and win awards and all of that. But when that started to build up because we were so busy or you're flying all the time, my ability for cognitive clarity thinking would start to fade like any of us who are exhausted, except brain injury. Um, So having to work within that. And I really just decided at that point, I mean, it was my, my first time I was certified as a coach was over 20 years ago. Right. So really being like, Huh, and bringing that back into the organizations in which I worked. And even though I was still working as a strategist or a marketer, but bringing in that idea of like, well, what do we do when we really think about our mindset, when we're thinking about the goals that we want to achieve and what happens and seeing the difference and seeing the performance of my team and seeing my clients surprise and delight when they're like, I don't know what's going on in that team, but you guys are really rocking it and getting very excited about what it is that we were doing. So kind of after working for the digital health startup and then helping them sell, raise private equity and you know, putting myself out of a job intentionally saying, okay, what's, what will I do next? And really since then, I've been working in that continued fractional COO type role, and then also coaching people. And today the work that I do is, um, it's really more executive coaching. Sure. People come to me because they want to up-level and get a new job. Absolutely. But the work I do is more about, we got to clean the house. We got to clean the foundation, right? You don't, you don't break up with a partner on Wednesday and find a new partner on Friday. You're going to bring all your relationship drama with you. So let's clean it up now where we are. Let's get to a place where we actually love our jobs again and then leave it. And you go, well, why would you love something you leave? Well, sometimes it's closure and it's time to move on, right? So just getting to a place of neutrality and balance that what you're picking next, you're not running to, but you're picking with sound mind. Yes. And that's really the work that I do with people. I kind of say like, I help you hold your soul. Why? So we, we get your soul back to balance yeah. so that you can go do your magic. But yeah. if, if you're not aligned with what it is that you're doing or how you're showing up or yeah. the, the chemistry and the environment that you're in, can it yeah. be fixed? Maybe. Can it not? Okay. Whichever it is, let's look at it so that you can go do the work you do. Right. No, I, I love that. I love what you're saying because I think even if somebody can't even get back quite to that place of loving it, 
if they can reconnect with themselves in some way, they're going to be far better off moving forward from there. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, again, I, or I'll joke and say like, you don't move house and bring all your dust bunnies with you. So, you know, the word love is, is probably a little bit strong, but just getting back to a place of balance so that when you have other conversations and you're networking, or if it's a formal interview, people aren't going, their resume is great, but I don't know, they feel a little desperate, right? That's the thing that we want to make sure that we clean up, that you're back centered, knowing that you're amazing, you know, your gifts, you know, your strengths, your values, your skills, how you're showing up, get you all ready. And then unleash you on the world. Well, I, you know, you also said that you, you were certified as a coach about 20 years ago. I'm curious where that fit into, you know, the story here. When did you, what made you decide to get certified as a coach? You were doing a lot of um, media work, marketing. How did, how did that come about? Because of the brain injury, I needed to get help. So I went to, I didn't want to become a nutritionist because that's actually in most states, something you have to sit for and actually like pass boards. So mm-hmm. I was like, that's, I'm not doing this to become a nutritionist. I'm doing this to get well while I'm continuing with what my career is and strategy. So learning about functional nutrition, going to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition back when it was uh-huh. live in person and all of that, as I was learning about the impact of, you know, anatomy, physiology, and food on the brain. Yes. So much of that was learning about coaching and yep. many of those things were coaching certification. So, yes, I mean, if there's a certification out there, I probably have it. It's a little, <laughs> <laughs> but again, it was all in service to my brain. It was all in service. How do I get well? And again, I can't fix what I broke, but, um, you know, the, I mean, so, so I, yes, I have an invisible disability. You can't see it, but it's there. It's, um, it's something that if I don't take care of myself will absolutely flare up. And it's a big part of my personal stage that I, that I stand on, meaning that being an advocate for disability and invisible disability, Yes, that coaching part, even in my worst days, even in my highest symptoms, I'm not gaslighting myself. There's still stuff I can do with my brain to figure out how to show up the way I want to show up, even within the circumstance that I have no control over. And that circumstance being like, I might be in a vestibular attack. I might be in a seizure. What do I want to do? How do I, how do I want to think about it when I get through that? Mm -hmm. And that's really where it first started. And like I said, it, it had such an enormous impact, not only on my own personal performance where I was, I was a valued employee, but I was now starting to get promoted and like, chunks of cash. And I was like, Oh, I guess this coaching stuff works. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, Cause I became my first client. I learned to do that by default. Again, I was learning to get my brain hurt healthy, but learning about the brain, I was like, Oh, this is whole part of positive psychology and cognitive behavioral therapy that you can apply as you choose to yourself to Absolutely. whatever it is that you want to go for. Yeah. So, so this, this traumatic brain injury is something you've lived with for a long time. It sounds like, uh, 20. So this is where the brain injury to get fuzzy. I always have to find dates and I don't have the dates in front of me. It's either 20 or 22 years. Yeah. Well, that's a long time. Yeah. 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 And it is, you know, I know like for me, it, it's the greatest gift I could have asked for. 
like it's the greatest gift I never wanted that I didn't know I right. never wanted. And like what it has done for me and my life, mm-hmm. the ability yeah. of having a brain injury and then having to figure out how to work within and then getting back to a place of balance and realizing that, oh my God, it has made me so much more empathetic kind yeah. of in a woo-woo way, but also in an intuitive way where I had to really strengthen other parts of my being in order to compensate for what works. Definitely works. My yeah. brain is still brilliant, but at times it's yeah, sit down sister and take a nap and I just can't fire it up. Right. So really understanding that when you're working within that, you know, the, the idea of empathy as a leader um, and really understanding like, you know, this, this idea that empathy without leadership gives you connection, but no solution. And mm-hmm. then leadership without empathy is power over, but it can be toxic and no one wants to be with a leader without empathy. So making sure that if you're an empathetic leader, you're really thinking about compassion and action because if you just stop at empathy, there is no solution. There's no moving forward. We're not in action. And that really has become also some of the personal mantras when I was running, you know, large global teams um, and working in agencies. And then when I went on to my own teaching the people as they wish that I work with how to really walk that balance of empathy and compassion. So they're putting that into their leadership and making sure that they are their first clients too. And starting with well-being yeah. and then making sure that they can show up for the craft that they love and the, and the work that they do. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> I can really appreciate what you're talking about um, in terms of the invisibility of this, you know, how we, we've had this whole conversation and I, I would have had, I mean, I knew, I knew about this cause I had read about you before, but you know, you have this whole career that you could have easily just skipped over that and, and no one would have known. So I appreciate you sharing that. Tell us, um, tell us about what we can look forward to going forward now. Mm. And seeing what you're up to. I love that. So um, I do put out a weekly podcast called The Career Refresh, and that most recently has been allowed about as as we are rethinking work whether that is us working for home and hybrid or full-time face-to-face, right? Many of our healthcare workers have always been working face-to-face. How are we rethinking Mm -hmm. um, our behaviors? How are we rethinking our mindset? How are we making sure that we're showing up for whatever 2022 is? And we're not still like rocking out to 2019, 2020, right? We want to show up and even though many of us felt like we lost time. And um, so that's one place that if people are interested in that, they can listen. I also do a lot of work um, both with people in, you know, coaching containers, but also really digging deep on strategy and their strengths. So how, when you know your unique gifts, what is then your strategic approach to work? How do you want to go about it? And then this fall, I'll be my, my primary practice, I do work with men and women, um, and non-binary. Um, but this later this fall, um, I'm really, I'm still fine tuning it, but I'm working with a group coaching with women who exactly that, like they want to do the work that they do, but they also want to make sure they're learning for themselves how to show up for their own career well-being and making sure that they're not overworking, they're not falling into people-pleasing, imposter syndrome, or any of the things that tend to happen to very hardworking people because they keep achieving and 
like I said, like I kind of help you hold your soul so you can go do the great work that you do and, and Love it. get that. And yeah, that container will come out later this fall. So if anyone's interested, you know, follow me on Instagram at Jill Griffin official. You can go to my website, jillgriffincoaching.com. I'm on LinkedIn as Jill D Griffin. <laughs> Jill D because there are other Jill Griffin coaches yeah. out there. Yeah. Yes. We will have all of that in the show notes. Thank you. So yeah. um, we will make sure that my ministry and I just want to help people yeah. get there faster to wherever it is for them and with a lot less drama. And that's, that's what I hope I can help people do. Oh, I love that. That is music to my ears. <laughs> I'm going to ask you one last question. And that is, if you had to give somebody one piece of advice about making a transition into what's next for them, what would be your key piece of advice? Mm. So it might be very, um, it might be a little bit of a different piece of advice, but the first thing I would tell you to do is meditate. I would tell you to get your butt in a chair or a seat or standing or walking or however meditation looks for you. And I would tell you to meditate. You need to get quiet. Because when you can get quiet, you can really hear not only Mm. what you really want, but also you start finding ways in which the universe sort of meets you creatively. And you're like, oh, there's an idea. Oh, that's how I can do it. You know what? I can call that person. I bet you they know. And suddenly your brain is firing in ways that if we're on overconsumption of social media, regular media, everything, and never being quiet, we actually can't hear that voice. And you're going to need that voice to make a pivot because that's where it's the most authentic. That it's really coming from you. I wish I could say I paid you to say that you know, <laughs> because that is exactly the whole inside out philosophy, yeah. but you just nailed it. Beautiful. Jill, thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. This was an absolute delight. This is a treat. I really enjoyed this too. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Jill Griffin. It was so interesting to speak with her and learn about her background and her professional transitions. What is your key takeaway from our interview? If you are interested in any of the resources mentioned in today's podcast, you can find them in the show notes on my website at TammyGoolerLobe.com forward slash podcast. Just look for episode 188. Are you anticipating your next professional move? Perhaps you're feeling a little stuck, wondering what direction to look in. Check out my new award-winning book, Work from the Inside Out, Break Through Nine Common Obstacles, and Design a Career that Fulfills You. It's available in print and ebook editions through my website, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, independent bookstores, and your local library. If you are inspired by this episode with Jill, please share it with your friends and colleagues. And please do subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate reading your written review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find through my website at TammyGoolerLobe.com forward slash podcast. Just click on the Apple Podcast button and follow the instructions provided there. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, it's never too late or too impossible to increase your sense of fulfillment and satisfaction 
in your work and other meaningful activities. Let me know how it's going for you. I'd really love to hear from you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Work From the Inside Out podcast. For more information, you can find us at www.workfromtheinsideout.com.